Starting with Crops, a podcast with Derek Hanton. Welcome, my name is Jeanette Sutherland and I am delighted that we have Derek Hanton from SAC Consulting Inverness with us. Hi Derek. Hi doing? Our last podcast featured Patrick Laurie who discussed starting cropping on his farm in Galloway. Today we are going to quiz Derek, arable expert, with questions that came in from listeners interested in starting cropping or wanting to know more about what it involves. Derek, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us about your experience with crops? Yeah, I'm Derek Hunton. Um, I'm from Aberdeenshire. I brought up on a farm in Aberdeenshire, a mixed arable and livestock farm. Also, my uncle had a dairy. Um, I've been looking after crops since I started with SEC 25 years ago. Quite a few crop walking clients and um, I monitor crops on a weekly basis, especially during the growing season. And we make recommendations for um, pesticides to control pests and diseases in the crops. That's great. Now, why do you think cropping has been lost from so much of the west coast of Scotland? I think there's a couple of things. Obviously, the weather patterns has been challenging in certain areas, especially wet in certain times of year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, probably another big part of that is that the expense of equipment. Obviously, arable equipment has become very, very expensive. And as a result, um, you need to cover large areas with that equipment. Okay. So on small scale um, crofting and small farms in the West, um, the accessibility to um, equipment is becoming harder because they tend to be located in the East Coast and getting people willing and able to go across and help farmers in the West to grow crops has become a challenge. With that in mind, cropping, we know it provides a lot of biodiversity benefits. However, on small farms or crops, if you're wanting to do this, what do you think would be the best thing to do? Would it be arable or forage crops or whole crop silage? I think you've got to look at the resources you have on your farm. What sort of fields and soil type do you have? Mm-hmm. You then you look to see what sort of enterprises you have and what sort of growing crops could, could complement that. So obviously, if you've got sheep, you could probably grow some forage crops to extend the grazing period in the back end. So that would help the demand for the winter forage. Also, you could put store lambs onto these crops to maybe just give you a few more kilos before you sell them okay, yeah. in, the, in the autumn. And when it comes to cows, you probably, yeah, there's a big demand for especially silage in the West. So there's a potential for um, whole crop to be made in the West to then supply um, forage for the winter keep. Do you want to just explain this, the difference between like a grass silage, a whole crop silage and uh, an arable crop grown for combining? Yeah, well, basically, we'll start with grass. Um, obviously, we all know that um, fertilizer grass, you um, cut the grass, you let it wilt for a couple of days, and then you either bale it into bales and wrap it, or you um, put it in a pit. There'll be a lot of bales made in the, in the West, which makes it very convenient for um, cutting small areas and storing and carting yeah. to different areas. Um, there is a challenge with that when it comes to d- disposable plastic because they're no longer allowed to burn it, but there is a cost element to that. Yeah. And then you've got to the same principle when it comes to growing um, an arable crop. When it comes to um, arable silage, it's usually grown as a mix of oats, barley, and maybe peas of some description. And then that's taken to a stage where the, um, the peas have formed and also the, the starchiness and the soft dough in the, in the, in the seed of the barley which is a really good high-energy feed. And it's cut exactly the same way as silage. Cut, wilted, and then baled into bales. And then, so that can be stored in the winter for, for winter feed. 
and that's a really really good feed because you've got high energy coming from the statue and it's going to be laying. That's fantastic and the soft dough stage how, how do you assess that yourself? Well you can just look at the seed and if you if you squeeze it and it looks, it's like a soft dough like you make bread with that's ideal timing. If it, oh, goes too, if, it, if it goes too dry it becomes too hard and then what happens is that actually the, the seed passes straight through the, the gut of the, the animal Oh, okay. you, lose that, you lose that energy from the from the seed. The cutting timing for whole crop is crucial to get that soft dough so you get access to the, the, the room and can break down the starch to give you the energy. Thank you. The third thing you can do is probably grow a forage crop, as I've mentioned. Now, that can be sown in the, in the spring stroke summer. Depends what you want to grow. Various crops, right from stubble napes right through to kale and um, forage rape. And they, they, they can be grown very successfully, and then, then they can be grow, grazed off in situ. So they're actually grazed off in situ. You can, you can open up the gate and let them all in, or you can strip graze them, depends how you want to feed them. What soil pH do you need to successfully grow these? Well, the three main crops would be um, forage rape, um, stubble turnips, or kale, potentially. And for kale and turnips, they are, they are quite good. They can grow down to about 5.4 pH. Okay which can be obviously maybe quite suitable for your area. When it comes to forage rape, it really needs about a 5.8, 5.9 pH to successfully grow. So obviously you know what you need to know what sort of soil and pH you've got to kind of match the forage crop to the soil and what you have. If you're doing a break crop before into a, a reseed, that's if you've got lower pHs, that's why stubble turnips can be quite a good choice. Yes, that's correct. And then you can apply the lime. So the lime can be applied in the forage crop and then you've got a decent um, pH for to grow a reseed into. Excellent. And then the next the next level up would be having a crop that you, you kept the grain and the straw separate. Yeah, the, the fourth option is either um, grow a field of spring barley or spring oats and then take it right through to harvest, which basically you go in with a combine and you separate the straw so you can get the straw, straw baled for either feeding or bedding and then you can keep the grain for um, feeding in the winter. When it comes to combining the crops in the West, obviously the real challenge is getting a combine into the, the location to actually combine that crop. That, that's the biggest challenge, I think, when it comes to cropping and growing combinable crops in the West. That's because of the lack of uh, equipment in, in the areas? I've been in Shetland and they've actually got a combine in Shetland. So unless you've got a combine in the location, Getting a combine when you want it is, is a real challenge in the West. And obviously, the sheer size of these combines nowadays to get them into these smaller areas is, is difficult. Is there a minimum size of a field that a combine can work? No, but you tend to, the smallest headers now, which is basically the cutting bar, is tend to be probably 20 feet. Right, so, okay. <laughs> and they go right up to 40 feet, depends on the size, and more actually depends where you're coming from. But yeah, they, they, these small combines are becoming rarer and rarer because one of the costs of them, and two, the actual, you need large areas to justify these combines. Excellent. So we'll move on to now some questions that came from listeners. I have a four acre field with a pH of 5.7. I've been told that oats were grown here in the past. Will they grow on it, or is it too acidic? And what about barley? For spring oats, uh, the target pH should be above 5.3. So at 5.7, um, the oats will be successfully growing that pH, no problem at all. When it comes to spring barley, it really needs a pH of 5.8, 5.9 to grow successfully. 
So as a result, that I would not recommend growing barley in a pH of 5.7 because there's a higher risk of crop failure in that field. Okay, thank you very much. I'm moving on to the next one. I have a field that's badly infested by docks. I've been told that an arable break crop could help control them. Can you describe what this means? What happens is that obviously if you've got a field of grass that you want to put into an arable crop for a year, you obviously you can spray off the, the docks with Roundup, which will kill all the mature docks along with the grass. You can then cultivate it and sow a, a crop. Weeds will still need to be controlled in that um, crop because if, if there's a large um, population of um, docks in the field, the likelihood is that the seed bank will be very large in that soil profile. And as soon as you turn the soil over or cultivate the soil, you'll expose okay. the seeds. And dock seeds have been known to survive over 100 years in the soil. That's amazing. <laughs> so if you if you then cultivate it, you have to control the seedling docks, in the, whether it's a forage crop or a new reseed, which is important. So it does control the mature docks, because you get control of them with Roundup. It doesn't stop the issue of seedling docks as soon as you cultivate the soil. And so would you need a sort of a separate program for that year when it's in the forage crop to manage the seedling docks is that the yes you would and sometimes it's a challenge when you pick in a, put in a forage crop um to control the docks because the the herbicides can't selective selectively kill the docks but you can easily kill them in a in a kind of arable silage stroke spring barley spring oats crop they're quite straightforward that's interesting thank you uh, next question was, what fertiliser do I need to use if my soils are moderate for both phosphate and potassium to grow oats for animal feed and straw? For the West Coast, I would probably recommend something along the lines of 500 kilos per hectare of maybe a 2010-10 or something similar. Okay. You could go slightly more than that, but I think probably to get, you don't want it too lush and too green because the It'll be probably a long-term lay or a long-term grass lay mm -hmm. that you'll be cultivating. The soil and the soil will be very fertile, and you don't want the, the the crop to be very very green late on for combining. If you're doing it for a forage crop to, to silage, then potentially you could put more fertilizer on because the um, you're going to be cutting it earlier, so that would be working okay. In old money, it's between four and five hundred weights an acre. Excellent. And if you had a lot of farmyard manure, could you replace some of that fertilizer with that? Or definitely, without a doubt. And what I would say, you wouldn't replace all the, the phosphate and potash with it. You could put on some farmyard manure to drastically reduce your purchased um, fertilizer, which would save money and be far more efficient. Now, as you know, the west coast has quite a short growing season. What varieties should we be considering growing? For Spring oats, I would say um, Delphin would be a good variety, but also Yukon would be slightly earlier in the recommended list. Now, we've mentioned this before. People who don't have all the equipment themselves, can you get contractors in with sowing and harvesting kit? And how would we go about doing this? Yes, you can. I know there's, there's a, at least what, a couple of farmers in the Black Isle basically specialise in small um, equipment and they quite regularly go across in, to, in the West, primarily to make silage at the moment. For the contact details of these contractors, I would phone your local SEC office and they will, they will help you with that. What sprays might we need to consider? How can we get advice? 
the main issue when it comes to growing forage crops after a long-term lay is um, weed control in these crops. And we've mentioned it before, docks can be a real challenge. So the ideal best thing to do is probably spray the field off around up first to get a complete kill of any mature weeds like um, thistles, nettles, rushes, um, and dockins. And then you can cultivate it and then sow your forage crop. The majority of forage crops like rape and kale will establish quick enough and they tend to, if you get a good establishment, they will drown out the, any weeds that are there. You might get a few, but it won't, ha it won't harm the actual yield of the crop. When it comes to stubble turnips or other turnips, you can, it probably is worth um, giving a, um, a pre-emergence um, herbicide that's um, sprayed within 48 hours of sowing. And that can control a lot of weeds, which will help the turnips um, establish because they, they are slower to establish. When it comes to arable silage, Yes, you can spray like a sulfonyl urea or other herbicides to control the weeds. But ultimately, if you're silaging that crop, um, a few weeds, as long as they're not ragwort and such like, it's not going to be a problem at all. Yeah. When it comes to combinable crops, yeah, it would be quite important if you plan to take that oats or um, spring barley to combine, it's important to get a good weed spray on just a post-emergence. And that would be something like a sulfonyl urea with a... With a I'm a partner in that to cover a broad range of weeds. The type of crops dictate what you need to consider the how much of a threat the weeds are going to be to you. Yes, and also you would examine the, the crop after sowing to see what kind of weed population you've got to see what would target that. And to get advice from that, you can contact your local SEC advisor or any basis qualified agronomist could help you with that. Excellent, thank you very much. Now, here comes to the, the tricky question of uh, bedding livestock. I'm interested in producing some straw on the croft. How do we do this? And how do I decide if it's cheaper to buy it in? I think you'd have to obviously grow the arable crop for combining, and you need to organise a combine to come in and mm -hmm. cut. It's obviously important, that you, you mentioned it's a short growing season, as we know, so you've got to make sure that you establish the the crop early as possible with a, an early maturing variety and take it to harvest and hope it sunshines and then you get the combine, get the straw and get it baled and get it inside. The real, the real challenge is obviously timing when it comes to harvest and also the weather. And if you were wanting to decide whether it was cheaper to buy in or grow, you would need to work out the full cost of growing the crop and as well as the, the harvesting of it. Work out all your inputs, like your seed fertilizer, but the main cost will be the, the cultivations, the work that you can do. So obviously the more you can do yourself, the better. You'll speak to your contractor to see how much he would charge, he or she would charge to come across and combine or do what you need to do, and then work it out, and then have an average yield of straw. You can get that from your, the farm management handbook or speak to your local advisor. And then work out how much it's going to cost you to get, to get that straw in situ and get it inside, as opposed to getting a lorry in from the east. Excellent. Next question is, I'm interested in under-sowing oats with grass, but I've been told it can be an issue in wet areas. What do you suggest? I presume you mean my wet areas as in rainfall? Yes. What I would suggest is, yeah, people grow oats un um, under-sown with grass very, very successfully. It works really well. You've got to make sure that the seed rate of the oats is not too high because it, okay. it is very competitive and can um, compete against the grass. The other thing you would do, you could not take that, I would not recommend taking that combine. I would cut it as a silage crop, so you can cut it early with, with enough um, regrowth of the grass after cutting, so you can graze it off a couple of times to thicken it up before the winter. 
Great. And does the, the oats as a sort of a nurse crop to the grass, does, do you think that helps with shelter and things or is? Yes, it does. It also, um, it just, it's a really good nurse crop for the, the grass, but the danger is you sow it too thick. So sow it thin, let the grass come up through, silage it and then graze it off couple of times before the winter, the more times the better, because every time you graze it off, it'll put up another tiller and it'll thicken it up before the winter to prevent any weed ingress. Excellent. So everything in moderation when it comes to the seed yeah. rates. <laughs> Definitely, yes. You were saying that you do a lot of crop walking yourself. What should you check if you start growing crops, like for pests and diseases? Well, the main thing that we've covered is weed control. That's kind of fundamental in trying to establish a crop. When it comes to pests, probably the main pest would be um, slugs a lot of time. Okay. And also there would be, when it comes to turnips, you've got a, um, a flea beetle, which can um, eat, the, eat the cotyledons just as it comes through the ground. So that would be the main pests. When yeah. it comes and the, to the cotyledons are when it's like the first leaves. It's the first two leaves, yeah, before the two leaves come through. So they can they can start eating that. And if eat that, they, they potentially they'll, they'll be quite vulnerable at that stage because they're very oh. small. And if the cotyledons get, the first leaves get eaten, they'll just die. What about pests and diseases on your oats or your barley? Less of an issue, to be honest. Um, oh, obviously, slugs, but they, they establish quite quickly. So they can get up and going quite fast. So I would be more relaxed about the, the disease. The one I think, what I would, would say is obviously when you pick your varieties, you have to pick them early. But also look at the um, disease resistance of these varieties because there's a big difference within, within the recommended list. So pick an early variety with good disease control and you won't have to worry about it. Oh, fantastic. Now, in an example where we've got a combine on the, the croft or the farm and we've got the grain, what advice can you give on storing grains? The first thing you do, once it's in the shed, you've got to stop it from heating. So before you process it, and that can be done by air fans, blowing air into the pile, pulling it out. But the main thing is try and get it either dried, which will be probably difficult in the West, but treat it with some sort of treatment like a propcorn to mm -hmm. preserve the grain. So and the propcorn rate is depending on the moisture of the, the grain. So test the, the grain for moisture and apply um, propcorn at appropriate rate, and then that, that should keep all winter no problem at all. That's great. And how do you deal with maybe neighbours like rats or mice? <laughs> That's a challenge. That's a huge challenge. So you've got to keep your vermin control up to spec. So we've got a question about more traditional varieties. What are the pros and cons of using like bear, barley or other traditional varieties? To be honest, I was across in the US discussing these with, with farmers and there's I can't see there's no real um, difference between the traditional varieties and the old varieties. Probably the new, newer varieties will potentially give you a higher yield, both of silage and um, grain. Mm -hmm. The only other thing they might do, the beer barley seems to be slightly more tolerant to manganese deficiency situations. And that's the only thing I can probably comment on that. You've mentioned magnesium deficiency, and one of our questions said that fellow crofters have told me about magnesium deficiency, that it can be a problem. What does it look like, and if I see it, how do I treat it? Right. Manganese deficiency is usually associated with high pH. So if you've got a high pH situation, then the chances of manganese deficiency is high. Now, what I call a high pH is anything above 6.2, 6.3. Okay, so that's so really quite high. Got, yeah, if you've got shell sand soils, you will, mm -hmm. your pH will be up in the 7s, if not the 8s. Mm -hmm. So you will get manganese deficiency. 
for it looks like it looks like um, the the leaves are very pale and floppy, especially mm -hmm. as they come through the ground. There's a two three leaf stage of the plant. You also get brown kind of um, spotty necrosis. There's basically dead bits in the leaves. So brown spotty, very pale, very floppy. That in a high pH, that's likelihood is um, manganese deficiency. How you treat that? You need to um, apply manganese to the leaf when you see it. So basically, buy some manganese dry flowable or manganese sulfate, mix it in the, the sprayer and spray it on at up to five kilos a hectare. That's great. And the plant just absorbs that through their leaves and that fixes the issue. Yeah, it does absorb it through the leaves. But if you if you have a known, if you know the pH soil and it is high, you can mix manganese um, powder in with the sower and then sow that. So the, what happens is the manganese coats the seed. You sow it in and then the manganese is available right at, when the, at, the, at the point of the seedling is very vulnerable. So the manganese is there on the seed. The seedling absorbs it to get up through the ground. So then you can treat the leaves when it, when it comes to you. Fantastic. Now, here's, as you said that you're in the US, and I'm sure you'd have got this question as well when you were there. Oh, Any yes. advice on growing crops in an area with increasing yeast numbers? Um, yeah, there's a, there, there, it seems to be a real challenge, and the, the number of geese that come in overnight can just decimate a crop. I think you've got to be on top of your game, really. Grow it in a field that, that you're seeing, and it's not in the back of beyond. You've got to kind of, people have bought lasers, they've bought mini rockets to scare them off, and you've got to make sure that you're vigilant after sowing to make sure that you geese stay away from your crop and encourage them to go either to somebody else's crop or somebody else's field of grass. You've just got to be vigilant about it and be on top of them. Well, that's excellent. Well, thank you so much for all your time today and covering all the various topics. As we've discovered, there's quite a lot involved. And if anybody has any questions about starting to grow arable crops, there's the, the FAS line and the local SAC offices. Thank you very much. No problem.